0: to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API.
1: Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike.
2: Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got Bobby Osinski. Hello, Mike. Hello, guys. Next to him, we've got Scott Gershen. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Across the table, we've got Nick Peck.
3: Hello, Mike. Hello, gentlemen. Happy Friday night to you all.
2: (laughs) And over here, on my left, we've got Rob Arbitere.
0: Hello there, everyone.
2: I think this is the first time we've ever been together on a Friday. It's been a while. It must be a special occasion. It is a special occasion. This is an Audio Nowcast special. We could call this, I don't know, 144.5. This is going to be kind of weird because we actually recorded 145 on Monday but we're going to post the special 144.5 that we're recording now after 145 tomorrow. So we're kind of messing with the whole time-space continuum. <laughs> you just blew
3: my mind. <laughs> we interrupt the Audio Nowcast for this special report. That's right. But basically,
2: um, I wanted to bring the guys together because we're going to talk about what happened this week. And that was the uh, delisting of Avid stock from uh, from the NASDAQ. And we're going to talk about some of the um, – ramifications of what that means. And we're also going to explain a little bit about exactly what that is. Um, But before we get going, even talking about that, um, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you realize that we talk a lot about Pro Tools and we've used Pro Tools for a long time. And the one great thing about the panel that we have here is um, everybody pretty much has their choice of DAW. And I know a lot of the guys work on all of them. I know Rob Pretty much has every software that's out there, mm-hmm. and um, and I've worked and do work on pretty much every DAW that's out there. Um, and the one common thread of all these is Pro Tools, and it's pretty much the bread <laughs> and butter of the you know music and post industry as far as DAW goes. The thing about all the other smaller DAWs and smaller programs is they're great. they they all have their their strengths and their weaknesses, but. If you know Pro Tools, you, you, you got a job. You know that's that's where you're going to work um, until that changes. So um, let's just talk a little bit about about the history of uh, of Pro Tools before we even get to Avid. Um, really quick, I just want to look around. Who worked on Pro Edit and Pro Mix? Anybody remember that way back in the day? Mm. It was like. Really, really early, early, early version. Okay.
3: That was when Pro Tools was two separate programs exactly. that needed to be integrated together to be able to work.
2: Exactly. And that was kind of a kind of a pain in the butt because you would have to edit in one and mix in the other. Now let's go sound designer. Who was a sound designer?
3: Absolutely. I used sound designer both connected up to my emulator 2 plus HD. And then after that, I used the sound designer standalone software for years for doing video game stuff. It was a great two-channel editor until DigiDesign no longer supported it anymore.
2: Um, anybody ask Bobby?
3: I used it, but not
4: extensively.
2: And um, does anybody remember the first time they actually saw a waveform on a screen? I mean, I remember when I first saw a waveform and then realized... On oh, which that, device,
1: though? Well... well
2: uh, I mine was true. the
1: Fairlight. <laughs> the 3D and then you could draw waveforms on it. That's true. That, that was cool. And what was yours?
0: It was the Synclavier and then the Fairlight. Yeah. And then the Waveframe.
2: That I mean, but on all of these just seeing waveforms was such a magical thing. I mean, all mm-hmm. of a sudden you saw you saw audio as a visual representation and and everything you heard you started to see, you know, all the attack transients and tails and things like that. It's like, whoa, th- it looks like a tail, you know. Um, so that was sound designer, kind of, you know, was an introduction for a lot of people. Let me ask anybody here: uh, use Sample Cell?
1: I okay. did. Yeah. I did too. It sounded terrible,
2: but yeah. I had it. But the thing about Sample Cell was, Sample Cell really, I think, started getting. Did design in the sound effects editing game because you could start? It was affordable, and you could start. Smaller companies could start doing sound design and sound editing because they didn't have to pay. How much was this in clavier back in the day, Rob?
0: Oh, a basic one hundred and fifty thousand, two hundred
2: thousand, and and how, what what kind of power? And they'd get they...
0: up to three and four hundred thousand. <laughs> and,
2: what, and what kind of power were we talking back then? Like on a Synclavier for three hundred thousand dollars.
0: Um, shoot, I'm trying to remember. I mean, sixteen voices, sixteen megs of RAM, or thirty two voices. I may be thinking about the wayframe. I remember the, the, yeah. the pinnacle of the wayframe was thirty two voices, thirty two megs of RAM, and I think it was a thousand dollars a meg for memory. Yeah, uh, wow. In the beginning, yeah, I don't remember where the Synclavier started out voice wise.
1: But you know, I think what a lot of it was though. I mean, it started with EMU one and a nine hundred and EMU two, right. and A six twelve. And I think you know samplers were huge in the day. Right. I think then when uh, Fairlight, Synclavier, and Waveframe came out with samplers, and you started seeing waveforms early on, that was for all the professionals. But the common person couldn't even begin to afford it. Right. And I think when 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 Pro Sound Tools came out, and all the different you know now all of a sudden it was on a computer. Right. But at the same time, you had hybrid arts with the ADAP. Yeah. Against uh, um, uh, against. A sound, uh I guess, it was dig, digital design. I guess would be. sample cell. Sample, well, yes, but in other words, those waveform editors. Yeah. everybody Sounders thought understand. it was a race between Atari, Amiga. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. Apple, and right. and Atari was set up to win for the fact that it had time code, it had MIDI. It was a base built for audio.
0: Right. I uh, I remember when Ned, uh, New England Digital, who made Clavier, when they came out with their affordable, you know, sort of quote unquote home studio unit, though right. not really, but. Uh, it was their inexpensive unit, and I remember it's right when the Wayframe was starting, but it was eighty thousand yeah. dollars.
1: Wow, That's that crazy. was their,
0: that was their affordable home unit. Yeah. Wow, well, I mean, talk about different cause, thinking.
1: Because because I was the rest as well. The average singlevers was about three hundred thousand. Yeah, and I remember when Wayframe came out, said we're one twenty five, one fifty, and we're yeah. like, wow, what a bargain!
0: that for a Sync Lab would be like you play one note. Yeah,
2: you know,
1: yeah. It's like the way plugins now are thirty nine dollars. They're like, oh my god, Wayframe. It's only 150,000. thousand won'll by two. <laughs> well, you know,
2: when Sample Cell came out in, in my career, I started – that's when I first started seeing guys, you know, with their own library of sounds because now they could record everything and now they could start doing it and you started seeing freelance sound editors and you started seeing people who could, who could do some of this stuff that was just, you know – Radically expensive before, so now we, we get to there and we, we're starting with Pro Tools. Pro Tools comes down in the market, and you got Pro Tools and Pro Tools two. It really kind of started to really roll around. Pro, Pro Tools, Tools three. 3. Yeah. that's that's a lot of people jumped in on, on Pro Tools three. Pro Tools three was the was the one that kind of kind of had it all together, and it was working, and it sounded pretty decent, you know, and back, Almost. Yeah, but but it was <laughs> but it was acceptable, and you see a lot of independent features now kind of going, especially in the post market, because that's where I started, and and right. you know dialogue editing and things. You know, you start seeing a lot of the stuff that we take for granted now was was being invented back then. You know, uh, dialogue stems with with all the backfill yeah. and all the you know production effects cut out because it was easy and quick, and you could do your um, DM and E's for uh, for foreign distribution and things like that. So.
0: And, and WayFrame owned the high end of the market for right. the dialogue editing and stuff back right. then. But there was definitely a big chasm between that and what the indie uh, features could I mean, I,
1: I used to teach a, um, a comparative study class at UCLA right. on digital workstations right. for about three years. Yeah. And when I taught it, there were 52 solutions. Wow. <laughs> there were 52 companies out there wow. from Cork Soundlink right. to uh, the, 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 the Dawes from England. And it was so everybody was trying to capture the Soundroid.
4: Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. that was the Lucas and, one. Yes,
1: and then and then the Avid had theirs at that time, which wasn't digital yeah. Design.
2: So, you know, here Pro Tools comes into the market. It it kind of has a DigiDesign design has a has a great legacy. It, it's really kind of rolling heads. It's making it affordable. The hardware is affordable. They start coming out with, you know, sync boxes for video. I thought that was a really brilliant move on their part that they immediately started embracing video and and production you know you dealing with sync and pull downs and things like that i mean that's that's concepts that that at that time were were kind of foreign to a lot of software we're kind of and that's what really started them to get a Get a a grip on the market is they they started speaking video and they had Vitzi, you know and they had yeah. Vitzy timecode and and stuff that was just really super smart. I always I just thought it was amazing to kind of see how the whole thing kind of rolled. And then each new version Pro Tools. I remember
1: Pro Tools four came out right. and that was that was really great. And things are Pro Tools four is and where and, I saw like the post business. Yeah, but I'll say one thing from you know from my perspective on post. Yeah. was I mean there were companies doing like SSL. Had some. I mean, there were people doing some super, super high-end audio disc-based solutions. That's but true. one of the things that I noticed, because a part of our, our, our classes that we did, you looked at Synclery, you looked at Waveframe, you looked at SSL, you looked at AMS. All of these companies, amazing devices, but they were all proprietary. Yep. Now, all of a sudden, DigiDesign comes out, the Atari's gone, it's starting to drop off. Apple comes out. Everybody in the art side loved an Apple. Yep. And then all of a sudden, it was cheaper. It wasn't a proprietary software. Now they can run other programs. And I believe what made Digi relevant was third-party vendors started making other software for the Mac. Right. And now all of a sudden, you realize if you buy a Mac… You can get sequencers and you can get audio devices and there was additive synthesis and all these really cool products coming out. Meanwhile, when you did a Waveframe, a Synclavier, and an AM – That was uh, all it was. It and was then, an and awesome you were
2: And, and yeah. that brings us up to our next you know, version. We started getting into Pro Tools 5. And Pro Tools 5, I remember when that came out, that was like, holy schmucks, we're on a roll here. And then, and then you start seeing more and more um, – Third party plugins coming out. Pro Tools
3: 5.1 was the one that finally started supporting Surround, if I recall. Yes, yeah,
2: exactly. When they got into 5.1 at 5.0 and then 6.0, and they started getting into it. And you know, the one big thing that really cemented them in the post market was their OMF import. When they, when they really seamlessly made a good OMF importer, there were other Companies that could import OMFs, but not do it as reliably and not do it as uh, as easy, especially coming from the TV guys with the video. Um, You know, Avid was growing up at that time, and they were doing their um, audio. And once that OMF standard came out, you should
4: explain what OMF is for people.
2: That's a good. An OMF is the Open Media. Open media... Format or, format or form? format, yeah, frame, File exchange or something yeah. like that. Essentially what it is, it is a, it allows a video editor to edit video with audio and sound effects and then kind of patch it and, and pack it up into an embedded file, which is one file called an OMF. Now, as a mixer, you get that OMF and you import it and it spills out into your session with all the different tracks that the editor had. And that's really important because back in the day, before that, what you would have to do was they would output onto tape, or they would, and you would have to digitize like um, whatever tape that they were using, where you're one inch or whatever, and then you would sweeten that, and you'd have to, you know, either use a multi-track recorder. It was just really big and really clunky to to do the simplest little things. Well, once the OMFs came and nonlinear editing came, it was really easy, and and then the fact that you could not only could you import. The audio, but you could import the automation of where they set the levels, so if your client had already heard the reference mix from the editorial, then you as a mixer, you got your mix and it was pretty close now you all you had to do was kind of shine it as opposed to try to recreate it and that went from you know mixing a thirty second commercial you know take all day where you <laughs> Fifteen minutes, you know, if it's if they really liked it and the editor was close, you just make sure it's all nice and legal and you clean up the edits and boom, you're spitting it out. And really got post-production companies really profitable because they charge an arm and a leg for this stuff and they could spit it out super fast. And OMFs were a huge thing because that allowed a really fast workflow and it allowed video. And audio to all of a sudden start getting closer and closer and closer together. I was just
0: going to say, one of the other things that that started to do was make it less important to have machine control in your systems. Right. Because everything started to be able to be within one machine and you weren't having to bring in dailies and do all these conforms and lock up machines. So it was around that time that – It became less necessary to have the machine control and try to interlock machines, which was always a really complicated process and never seemed to work right the first hundred times. And you started to be able to get away from that. So that was a real time saver. We used to end up spending plenty of time in a session trying to get things to synchronize and lock up and and just utility tests that actually had nothing to do with the creative job.
2: Well, I will say, too, that the thing about OMFs is, number one, you know digi design a lot of this stuff which was brilliant was kind of a la carte if you didn't want to pay for omf cuz omf importer used to be a separate pro- uh, product that you would buy as was machine control you would buy machine mm-hmm. control separately so if you didn't need any of this stuff you didn't have to buy any of this stuff and it really all of these things kind of cemented digi as to just being the the broadcast platform of choice because it was quick and easy and it sank up and it did well. And they did
0: it for so much cheaper than all the big high-end solutions.
1: I I will say just as an insert just for all those people that have known me before, I just want to insert one little time frame in there. Um, Really the first workstation though that really came into being in LA I can only speak for LA, that became the standard de facto was actually Waveframe because that's everybody I mean we had three, four hundred of them I mean everybody, dubbing stages had them, editing had them and what was interesting, though, is that they were A-track. They would do auto-load, auto-conform, and they were re- – I mean, they owned it, and Digi couldn't get in. They got in on the low end, kind of like what Avid and Final Cut is, you know, was kind of what Wayframe and Digi was. But then I think – you, and you said it, Mike – was Waveframe never really had automation. And all of a sudden, you could do automation. You could get things that, that Wayframe never also had was plugins. Now all of a sudden, plugins came in, and they weren't all that great, but you could start manipulating sound more than just editing. And that's when I started seeing everybody going, huh. So I could do a little volume. I mean, you did a little bit of volume on Waveframe, but not really like with a fader and automation uh, on the disc recorder. And now all of a sudden, it started getting interesting. And instead of being auto-conform, auto-load off of DATS, yes, there was OMF. But but there was probably a 5 to... Would you say Rob five ten years mm-hmm. that Wayframe owned it, well, and, and also it created the
0: entire plug-in industry for audio too, which is not yeah. something well, to that's, that's huge.
2: But you know they they owned it on the high end, but on the on the small small end, the small little post companies, it was they were all embracing Pro Tools. They were starting yeah. because of Pro Tools, and that's the most important thing. I worked for a couple of different sound companies that would not have they wouldn't even have been in existence had it not been for um, Pro Tools. As a matter of fact, if you go into my IMDb page, I've got you know a ton of movies in there that we were cranking out two movies a week. You know, things like Prey of the Jaguar, and uh, you know, just, <laughs> just my favorite, you know, Prey of the Jaguar. I, you did that one, Mike my- Fury, and this one mm-hmm. I was di- you know dialogue editing and things like that. My friend Jesse, he probably has about on his IMDb. I would say, man, by now he he must have like eight hundred films. I mean. Just because just working at that at the factory, you're doing so many films so fast. It was only possible because because of Pro Tools. But I actually
0: heard at the Oscars this year they're doing a 15 minute retrospective on Prey of the Jaguar. Is that true? (laughs) I hope not. Maybe I heard that wrong. It's horrible, horrible Mike.
3: I can I can certainly jump in on the on the Bay Area perspective. You know, from that particular time frame, and say that it was absolutely, in my experience. Um, the ability for Pro Tools to be able to import OMFs and right. so forth that allowed the rise of independent sound designers Absolutely. and independent audio post correction people Absolutely. up there. I didn't know of anybody running waveframes. The yeah. only synclaviers we yeah. knew of were at Sky Sound, yeah. Skywalker Sound. But other than that, everybody was able to get in and, and level the playing field when they could buy Pro right. Tools,
2: and that's really important because here's here's what happened. So it gets its, it gets a hold of it. You know, there people are, st- are using it for music, and and it's going for music, but. What's happening is you get these all these Pro Tools systems in the post. You have all these young engineers, you know, that are working on it and are learning and stuff like that. And what are they doing after hours? They start recording their bands and they start recording their that's their, yeah, They start the recording their friends and you know tape. And you know at that time, if you if you look back while well, Pro Tools is coming up, you know on the music side, you're getting. Elisa's coming out with their eight-track recorders. I mean, music is still looking at kind of tape-based systems, you know.
4: Yeah, but and, in the high end, it's the Sony thirty-three twenty-four. Yeah, exactly, and
2: exactly. So, I mean, it's they—they're not looking at Pro Tools yet. So, really, kind of Pro Tools is kind of growing up in this post in its own little weird thing, but. I know, you know, I have no data to back this up other than I just know all my friends that were sound editors and that were even mixers too, they were all into recording music on their stuff after hours. That's what they would do. And I think that had a real big push in helping like oh man, you can start doing music and you can start doing it better because of the editing capabilities and then you started seeing, you know, really great, you know, electronic um, you know, um editing of uh, of of I mean stutter edits and things like that. Before there was a plug-in you actually had to do a stutter edit, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And and it was really interesting, you know, as you're as you're living through and as I was thinking about this timeline to see the influence of the post community actually on music and the adoption of Pro Tools to kind of get in there. Because like you said, you know, the high end music was still on the high end. Slowly we start going, I'm gonna move this along. Um, we go into Pro Tools version seven and that was a big one. Pro Tools version 8, Pro Tools version 9.
4: Let let me just jump in here for a second. On the music side, the the Sony 3348s were the de facto standard in studios for a while. Mm -hmm. But it was six months. And in six months, everything changed to Pro Tools. It happened almost overnight. Yeah. And it happened because Pro Tools suddenly was sounding at least as good, if not better, plus there was a lot more. And what was uh, – the biggest thing was all of a sudden all the music people were working on Pro Tools and they'd come into the studio and they'd say, well, do you have Pro Tools? They had to get it. Yeah. Yeah. And before you know it, those thirty three forty eights and 24s were
2: boat anchors. No, it's so true. Well, Rob yeah. has a great – right? You Didn't you have one or – for one you tried to sell for dirt cheap or something? Oh, no, that or? wasn't me. I think that may have been Andrew who
0: told that story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's pathetic what happened with the Sony 3348, especially yeah. the 16 bit ones before they yeah. came out with the high res ones. Because yeah. these machines were like 400 grand. Yeah. crazy. And the thing is, like Bobby's saying, people would come in with their Pro Tools sessions. Pro Tools was what, 5% of the price? Oh, yeah. 10% of the price. Yeah. I
4: and mean, they're 24-bit when you yeah. only had 20-bit at the most on the 3340. Yeah. Yeah, that had, was
3: the big sea yeah. change in music was when we went from the 888 Pro Tools exactly. IOs to the blue hardware, yeah. right? Yeah. To, the, but, uh, but actually, to when, the 192, and we had 24-bit and 192K sampling rate. Yeah. That totally blew it up as far as audio but, quality. But, you know, mentioning the
2: 888, the 888 was like... Was actually a really when it came out, it made waves. That was like the holy smoke.
1: special. That
2: made oh, it made yeah. a lot of waves, and so slowly but surely, you kind of kind of see how it's all making making. Uh, it, it eroded, yeah, but take it, it notice though.
4: What what's happening here is a lot of the conversation is based around hardware. Right, right, and, and that was the smart thing because Digi. Was not a software company as much as it was a hardware and a software company like Apple. Right. That's very. But that and, and, and where do you make most of your money? You don't make it on software, you make it on the hardware. Yeah. And you've but got the best th-
3: dongle in the world. Yeah. You need the card need to the be able the to One well, well, thing
1: Digi, though, was able to take advantage of for all of the workstations that were prior- proprietary, they couldn't evolve as fast as computers were evolving. So when you saw how Mac and Apple and PC were evolving as everything from disk drives to um, networking and Ethernet, all of a sudden they were getting the job done faster. Mm-hmm. We can do this and we can do this. And the proprietary people were like we we, we, we need to sell more product before we can implement those changes. Right. And, and Digi wasn't doing any of that. It was just software. So uh, the Apples of the world and the PCs of the world were starting to basically evolve it and Digi was able to ride that wave of technology where they benefited by all of the peripherals that those workstations provided. Yeah, there was there was definitely –
2: there was a lot of luck involved, but they are – talk about being at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move forward because I don't want to get stuck on too much on the history, but I, I wanted to go into it so you guys can kind of see how it all is kind of working. And that's a really important part, what Bobby just said about being tied in to their hardware because that's definitely – you're going to see how that affects a lot of the things that they're trying to do now with such an outdated model. But getting back to the 192s, when the 192s came out, that was huge, right yeah. and when the tdm and the accelerator right. cars came out that is the thing that really launched them to the stratosphere because you yeah. were able to do stuff you know you were able to do things that that were just a dream um you know years before and you were able to own this stuff at home and you started seeing all these little home studios and you started seeing you know sound designers that were um you know, hired guns that would go to all, all bunch of different places, and then for the first time, you know, people were going for a mix, a post production mix, in some guys' you know garage studio and their Pro Tools and things like that, and it was all pro
1: stuff, and it's you know really good quality. Well, when Win92 came in, the clocks were good, right? The high end guys got Black Lion. Oh, you know, mo- uh, modifications. Yeah, or you had so all of a sudden it's like because I know mixers go, yeah, it doesn't still doesn't sound right, still doesn't sound right. The 192s came out and it was like, you I'll, know, I'll tell you the the 192 the 192 with the Big Ben clock yeah, was yeah.
2: amazing. I mean, it was like all of a sudden all this digital audio, I always I say it comes into focus. It just comes into focus. You can hear that attack transient on that hi-hat. It no longer sounds like the hi-hat is a little bit open. It sounds like the guy is holding it tight, and it's a nice sharp click. And that's that's what the clocking did, and that's what it, it- cleaned
3: up the digital yeah. jitter. Yeah. Mike, uh, one thing that I think that our younger listeners need to know about here that we haven't mentioned that's important is the fact that up to a certain point. You had to have digit design hardware inside of your computers right. in order to yes. be able to write. It was right. not just the I.O. You had to actually have a card sitting there or several cards that you right. would connect together with cables for them to be
4: able <laughs> to work together. Which, if, were yeah. Yeah. Which were very expensive. Which were very
2: expensive. And I think yeah. it, it broke out, I think it was version 8 when they broke out. Um, 7, I think, was still tied, but I think in version 8. Version 9. Version was a version nine. Version
3: nine became hardware agnostic at that point.
2: Okay, it was. I know it was one sort after that.
3: But um, yeah. <laughs>
2: but that was that's really yeah. important because then you got to use Pro Tools on version nine with whatever interface, and and that's when you started seeing on the Pro Tools end of things, um, you had the M boxes and when you had the
4: But that you see that's where that? the problem started yeah, exactly. right, right. There. exactly, and. It was actually it, we're seeing the uh, in, unintended consequences that were happening. What happened was they reached saturation on the high end, right? So they started to look down on the low end. Well, how do you get to the low end? You make it cheaper and you make it open. That's when it all started. Which that's what 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 they're going through today. That was the beginning, right there.
2: But I think it was inevitable. They yeah, would they may have not to have do had it. a choice because no, well. there was a lot of great. You know, let's let's swing back. You start. You know, all this whole time while we're talking about Pro Tools coming up, and we talk about um, you know what they're doing. There's other companies that are out there. A really good one is you look at look at Cubase. Cubase been around maybe even longer you know, from, from the consumer market. I'm just talking about from the market in general. Cubase is a DAW going and developing and you see Nuendo spin off of that. I mean, they've been around, you know, a long time. And and Cubase has never been it's never been as expensive as pro tools, you know. So there's other DAWs that are happening. Other things in music that are happening. There's other platforms that are happening. Um, and so sure. I I, I well, I do agree, but but, but look
4: I, I, look look back at when Digi was acquired. Yeah, that was yeah. 1994, right? Is that
0: when it was? I don't
4: 1994, and that's
0: 20 years ago. Yeah, it's 20 wow. years ago.
4: Sheesh. So Digi basically went for five years or so on its own without Avid being right. involved. But as soon as Avid pulled it in to Avid. That's when the problem started because as we see in music, as we see in entertainment, it's no place for a public company. Right. No. Um, And what ends up happening is that um, all of a sudden you're looking at the bottom line. You have accountants that are very concerned with the next quarter profits. And you're also beholden to your stockholders. You're not so much looking at the – the, your consumers your customers you're looking at your stockholders and when you think about it what's the president's first job the ceo's first job to take care of the board and the stockholders yeah. and shareholder value yeah. that's, that's right, right. Well, Number well, one.
2: just so you know it was uh, 1995 i just looked it okay, up that, and that's amazing that is that, amazing. that it was 19 years ago right. um and you know as a side note avid on their own, had an amazing audio product called AudioVision. Um, I actually yeah. broke into the film industry as an AudioVision editor. And uh, let me tell you, it absolutely stomped all over what you could do on AudioVision. It stomped all over what you could do with uh, Pro Tools at the time. Pro Tools it had, was
1: never the best product. It had they a were the most used product. Right. It had, great,
2: it had a great post-conform. Like, like beta back VHS. In the, back in the day before OMFs, when – film editors were still cutting and using EDLs, right? What you would do is you take your EDL and you would feed it into to, um, the computer and I'll then just,
0: you... In, I'll just point it here. An EDL is an edit decision list. It's basically a list of all your edits. And it used to be what you would hand around from studio to studio to conform your edits.
2: Thank you, Ralph. No
0: problem. And what you... the, People these I... days don't know what an EDL <laughs> yeah, is.
2: Mate. That's true. Huh? Except the
0: old people who <laughs> listen to us.
2: So <laughs> you'd, you'd get an EDL and you'd load it into the computer it's all the edits and then literally the com- the computer would tell you okay insert you know this tape so you put that tape in it'd spin it would find out where it was it would record it and then it would stop recording as you know it would play the tape record that part and then say okay now take in this tape so you put the next tape in and it would record that part it's so, it it's so primitive it's but at the same time it was unbelievably fast because if you had a tape and let's say it was used in 17 different places it would record all 17 different places so you only had to put that tape in once you didn't have to keep going back in and out and that was huge because you didn't have to do you know you, the assistant editor there was a job to do that that was a job and if you couldn't if it couldn't find the right tape or something was mislabeled they'd have to go listen to it find the tape record it look in the i mean Look at the the uh, script to look what shot what reel. I mean, it was just a mess. But
1: this to be also auto load, auto conform. Yeah, exactly. Auto conform. Yeah, we had, it had time code across the whole dat, and use always time code based stats, and we would put an EDO on yeah. it, and it would just have a tape machine, and um, it's kind of like a disc says, "Please but, insert, you know, tape number sixteen, you know." But, and, but having
2: said that, Avid had a really good solid audio um, product at that time. They, they acquire um, DigiDesign. They still have their Audio vision, but you know it lost out. Basically, Audiovision went away um, years after that.
4: But it was a great it was a great. But, but now understand now. the dynamics behind this. So why did they acquire DigiDesign? Well, it's, it's not so much that they wanted to acquire them, it's that DigiDesign wanted to cash out. It's the founders and the investors in DigiDesign want to cash out. So therein lies one of the big problems because if they would have stayed private and if they would have kept on going, undoubtedly today things would have been different because they would have been thinking about their market differently than instead of, again, their their shareholders. That's true. So – and it's the same thing for Avid, for instance. Avid did the same – why did they go public? Well, they went public because their investors wanted to cash out and and that's – you know, when you go into business with a VC, a venture capital capitalist, one of the things they know right up front is, in five years or seven years or whatever it is, we want to get our money back plus five, at right. least. No, it's true. And so you make that deal with the devil. You know what's going to happen, and and that's what Ava did first, and it started downhill from there.
2: Now, having said that, I'll finish up the history. We get to version eight, we get to version nine. Then we get to version ten and a couple things happen in version ten and and then we're gonna go into what's happening with Avid. First of all, version ten. Prior to version ten, upgrades from previous versions were really affordable. They weren't that bad. Three hundred bucks maybe.
3: They started out as being like fifty bucks. Yeah, but but
2: but I remember to do my upgrades. It was to go from six to seven was like three hundred dollars. It wasn't, as a matter of fact, three hundred dollars plus. I got an extra um, authorization should something have happened with my iLock or something. I mean, it was it was really it wasn't it was really fair. It's reasonable. Yeah, reasonable. Version ten, and prior to that, you could update any version of Pro Tools to the latest version for that upgrade price. Version 10 comes out and all of a sudden they have a tiered, structured upgrade policy. You want to go from 7 and above to version 10 HD, it's going to cost you 2500 bucks. And then version 8 was a little less and version 9 was a little less. And it was ridiculous. And you know how I know this? Because that's where I stopped at Westwave West Wave Audio. It's like – My 7, version 7, was working fine for everything that I needed to do. There's just no way. I was so upset about that. I was so angry. It's like you're you're kicking your faithful right in the stomach. Absolutely. I mean I've been with them since version 2. Now, I got version 10. It wasn't the HD version, but I got version 10, right? But that, I think, right then and there – for me personally, I started thinking about the company a little different, and and I wasn't the only one. A lot of people started started to turn off people, and you had the AAX format that came out, and they were making this big splash about the whole thing. And I always thought, what a dumb thing to do! You would think that would be the one upgrade that you would want to push out for fifty bucks because you want people to adopt it overnight.
1: Well, I'll, I'll even throw, throw this out from a different perspective: that when ten came out, everyone's like, "Oh, great! It's it's, it's going." But for us, the, where I saw everything screech to a halt and everybody scratched their heads in a very pretty aggressive way, when you look at the big studios, the Warner Brothers, the Disneys, the Sound Deluxes, the Formosas, we spent millions and millions of dollars buying Pro Tools. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one day when, when Sound Lux bought their 250, 300 Pro Tools systems, it helped Digi make their numbers for the year. And so now what's happening, though, is they said, great. So everyone's bought all this gear, and they're all pretty much happy. we got 192s, Pro Tools 9, Pro Tools 10. It's all kind of okay. Then Pro Tools 11 comes up, <laughs> and here's what just happened. All the hardware, all those 192s you bought, they don't work anymore. Yeah. They might work, but we don't really support them. Now, all of a sudden, it's a business. It's, you know, And they're saying, I just spent millions of dollars and I haven't paid it off yet. And now you're telling me, we have to buy a whole other generation. So then we say, great, what's new? Not a whole lot, 64-bit. Everyone went, I'm not really sure what that gets me. All of a sudden, everyone's looking at it and, hey, we need another Pro Tools. What happened to the last one we bought you? We need to get this one. We need to stay up with the Joneses. What does it get you? Not a whole lot. And all of a sudden, right now, lose all
3: your plugins. Well, all the the business people are going. Look, we can't do this
2: before we get into eleven. And that's a good point, Scott. Let me finish with ten because, but we got to finish because you kind of hit. You kind of also mentioned it. Version ten, they introduced their new plugin format, right? The AAX. And that starts the big quandary for a lot of people. It's like, okay, what is this whole AAX? How's it going to affect? And and version ten was actually the one where you start realizing that TDM is dead. You're gonna you're now using if you're using version ten and you have TDM plugins, you're using the the native version of it. Um, and and it's it's really you start seeing things lean on on the Pro Tools. It's like. People are starting to. This wave of negativity is starting to, to come across because of of that whole transition. Look, if they would have handled that transition a little bit better, I think I think they would have been a different situation because they would have been able to to be the standard that they want to do. They just didn't make it easy for people, and and they they're they're preying on their on their biggest fans, and it's never good to do that. You know, it's never good. So. Through this whole timeline, you see this whole thing, and, and all of a sudden, you get to this one point, and sure enough, you know people are starting to look at other hardware solutions because Pro Tools is now Pro Tools now works on on different things. So, version ten, you saw companies like Apollo that could come out and really thrive, and you see some of these other companies, you know. Focus rights, you know, everybody's starting to tout, you know, Pro Tools Compatible, and they have that little sticker that you see. But you,
1: you brought out something, and I don't want to go too far away because there's an important part with the AAX that you were doing. One of the things that happened in the sound design community is a lot of the Digi plugins were expensive because the licensing fees for the plugin companies cost them more money. What started happening with the with, uh, librarian systems like Soundminer and Rappers... Is what happened with digital design. We talked about oh, sound design and all that. Is what's happened with VST plugins. Now all of a sudden, VST plugins are thirty-nine bucks. They're ninety-nine dollars. You for two hundred and forty-nine dollars, you get fifty plugins from like, Nomad and and Plugin Mix. All of a sudden, uh, there's other formats that are really good plugins for pennies up compared yeah. to AAX types type plugins. And they're wondering and, and, and I think that has been a real drag where a pl- lot of people going, I'm not sure I want to go with AX. So the one the one thing about the AX
2: format is I would there's this glory year, right? I think from version and you guys weigh in on this, from version like seven to version ten, I call that the RTAS glory years. That's where you had amazing synths coming out. You had amazing little, you know, Tools and little, you know, bomb factories doing their thing, and and you know all this native stuff that's RTAS because computers are now getting powerful enough to right. to handle that, and and that's the glorious. So here you're rolling on on a, this gigantic momentum of all of this really great stuff, and then right, AAX comes in totally kills a ton of that momentum. Now look, I totally understand why they needed to do that. There's sound technical reasons why... And they, they said they're not going to support way. our test. Right. But, yeah. there's, but there's sound, because Pro Tools, after that, you get into Pro Tools 10, which is this little hybrid thing, and then 11 comes out, and 11 is a totally different beast in and of itself. I get it. You have to evolve. You have to change. I just think the way they handled that was not the best. Yes,
4: Yes, but also, even though they handled it badly... That was the profitable part of the company, right? Right. The video part, yeah. For four years, five years prior to that, was floundering badly, and it was floundering for the exact same reasons. They had uh, they were they're a little more expensive than what the market wanted to pay, but they also saturated the market there was nowhere else to go right. and then when apple came out with final cut that uh, was a blow that that hurt them desperately cuz you can get into final cut a lot cheaper you can get into final cut a lot cheaper it
2: does a lot of the same stuff and now you know let's go back a little bit i'm not we're not going to be as extensive with the with the video but you know they have media composer you know avid has a lot of different types of editing programs they have news cutters they have all kinds of different things specialized little you know, platforms, they had, you know, the HD, you know, nitrous and all this other kind of stuff. Avid's coming along, Final Cut comes in there and just kicks them in the stomach with just a punch. Comes in, you know, it's not thousands and thousands, you know, even nowadays, you get, you know, Final Cut 7 is the de facto standard editing platform in Hollywood. It's it's not Avid. Avid, and once again, some, and once a, a again, you don't need it.
3: You don't need any specific hardware, right. Other than having a Mac, and, you it, can generates, use and it generates whatever video whole, front end you need. You know,
2: Blackmagic and Kona cards and all this other stuff. And and what does Avid do? Avid's sticking to their price. They were touting, "Hey, you can now edit without our hardware because it was locked to hardware. You can now edit without our hardware, but it's going to cost you twenty five hundred bucks. You know, media uh, uh, composer. And
1: also the film side. We were talking about this at dinner a little bit, and that is. Films, uh, film production uh, don't own Avid's, and none of them do. They rent it.
4: Yeah. yeah so right. they open right. up.
1: They said, okay, we're going to do a film. They get space at Lantana or any of the the places. They go into the, the rental company, yeah. and they said, uh, get me the Blah Blah Composer. Okay, they they rent it up, and they get it for three to six months. Bada bing. So what happens They write it all off. They, yeah, then, but yeah. in other words, they never buy it. Yeah. They're never going for that upgrade – The 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 rental companies are, and the productions go. You know what? This is fine. Rent that one. Right. And what's happened is there is no ability to grow. You know, some TV in house people have it, but a lot of Hollywood's a big rental. You know, rental situation.
2: And the thing that happened with Final Cut is they didn't have to be rentals because why? Because talk about perfect timing. Your laptops start getting more powerful. You yeah. go to the Intel platform. Now you're running Final Cut 7 on your laptop with a FireWire 800 RAID drive. You can cut anything. You're the, no longer
1: locked. The, the and, editors at home. Right. I mean, that's the thing was what I found right. is mm-hmm. the editors while working on an Avid – at the studio, right? But I got a little Final Cut system at home. I can do some tweaks on,
2: right? It. And and the other thing about this that's that's really kind of amazing is not only are they working out of their house and they're working on their little laptop, but they're also using plugins. And there's a big you know plugin market for for Final Cut. And there's you know you got all these Sapphire plugins from Gen Arts and things like that. I mean things are happening. Then it's just kicking Avid and. Avid has the feature film market because they were pretty much the last ones to flip. Right. But you had um, Cold Mountain come out, which was like the first big feature that was um, edited by oh 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 Apocalypse w- Now w- uh, uh,
4: Walter Walter Murch uh, yes. yeah yeah
2: comes out he's editing Cold Mountain they have a whole book about it about how his experience was um, on Final Cut and that you know. That right there, that's boof, paradigm shift. You can see that happening.
4: I can remember the day when it dawned on me what was happening. I was cutting um, extras for a DVD and I had a a video editor and I rented out an Avid Bay and it was only $300 for 24 hours. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, but that wasn't the revelation. At the end of that time, the editor turned to me and says, you know what, I can do all this and more at, at my house and I'll do it for cheaper than that. <laughs> and at that point, I knew it's all over. The around. writing was on yeah. the wall. There,
2: there were companies that all they did was rent out Avid systems and overnight, well, not overnight, but really fast, it closed.
0: I'll say something, too, that relates to the uh, the Pro Tools 9 and 10 and then AAX coming out and new hardware and everything else. There's, there's a calculation that companies need to make before they tell their customers that everything they sold them before is obsolete. And Apple's been really good. I mean, it basically comes from arrogance, how much you think you can get away with it. But Apple's been really good at convincing you to get that next computer or that next device. They usually do it by showing you how cool the new device is. Right. Avid and Digi Design for a long time mm. did it a different way. They basically would say, you know that thing we sold you a few years ago that we told you was the greatest thing on earth? Well, guess what? It's, it was a piece of crap. And here's the new amazing thing. Like 88824s, when they were the big product that Digi was pushing, were God's gift to audio. Right. They were the greatest sounding thing ever. Yeah. We're doing these A-B tests and all these classical like – Snob guys will only listen to analog, you know, in a oxygen-free environment on the moon or whatever. You know, they're all claiming this is the greatest interface known to man. Fast forward a few years later, I can't believe we were listening to that piece of crap. And <laughs> and you gotta buy this new thing, which by the way, in a few years we're gonna tell you is a piece of crap. Yeah. And what happened is all of us were being very productive on TDM systems. And yes, they had a digital edge to them, and everybody realized it wasn't the greatest audio of all time or the greatest that audio was ever going to be, but it was good enough. Plenty of hit records were being made. Plenty of films were being made. It was good enough that if you had great creative people, it wasn't going to hold them back. And there was tons of great stuff being done. When AAX came around, and I understand the need to evolve and the need to develop new products and survive as a business and all of that. But when an AAX came around, it was another one of those lines in the sand at a time when people were already complaining about how expensive things were here's a whole new hardware platform you need to move to. And yes, it's way more powerful and way more capable, and it's been years since we released the last thing you're using. But it's not going to have full software support. I mean, the fact that Waves decided not to do DSP processing using those AAX cards. When Waves is like so – it's it's ubiquitous for a lot of studios. Where right. If you buy a Pro Tools system, you buy Waves. At least it used to be that yeah. way.
2: No, absolutely.
0: And so the idea that here they're coming out with this – unbelievably expensive hardware compared to what the rest of the market is doing. And it's going to have less support and they would dance around what the support's going to be. But you can't tell your customers, number one, that you've lied to them in the past because you definitely told them this stuff sounded good that you're now saying doesn't sound good. You're then forcing them a lot of times to replace their computers and all of your hardware that you've sold them. Basically start over. It's not like there's an upgrade path. You start over. They'd give you some rebates on some things and they'd have upgrade programs. But still, you're spending a ton of money to end up with less capability yeah, right. because of the software support. And right. your customers are only going to put up with that for so long. And when we and this relates to a point that when we start talking about some of the articles we've been referencing, yep. this it, it plays into that. But it was a very arrogant move. Right. And very tone deaf to what the market and was you know, saying.
2: And you know what? That's actually that's a, that's going to be a good segue because now we're going to get into. We kind of saw a little bit of what's happening with Avid. We kind of gave you a little timeline about Pro Tools and where it was. And where it thrived and where some of the the stumbles. Nick, did you want to say something before we close this? I did.
3: I wanted to add one more thing. We've been talking repeatedly about the hardware side, the actual audio hardware side of Avid. Uh, but another thing that they did that massively alienated their audience was the lack of support for their previous controllers, which were very expensive. Mm, that is That's true. Right. Pro controls and control twenty fours and the command eight. All of this wonderful stuff – I mean these were glorified mouses that allowed us to be able to have seriously enhanced productivity with them. You spend a lot of time to learn how to use it. In my case, it was a Control 24, but right. whatever it is. And then you go down the road with it and you spend thousands of dollars it's in it. It's forcing all of you sudden, to buy more gear. And we're gonna, exactly. And we're
1: going
2: we're to get into that because that's, that's – we're going to get into that after we see what's happened uh, on the delisting. So now we're going to shift to what happened on Wednesday, what the big news was <coughs> and how that affects – the audio community. So let's talk a little bit about what happened this past Wednesday and and what it means. And first thing is let's just explain what happened. Um, on Wednesday, Avid got delisted from NASDAQ. And basically NASDAQ told them that they're not going to be able to trade through NASDAQ. Um, do you want to explain what that is, what delisting is? Well, Bobby.
4: NASDAQ is uh, is a stock exchange. It's one of many, but it's a big club. And basically they have minimum requirements for you to get in the club in the first place. And if you fall below those requirements, then they say goodbye. And that's what happened in this case. They give you a period of time. that it's, It doesn't happen automatically. They basically give you a warning and say you have either three months or six months to uh, – uh, to re- uh, to figure out what the problem is and and rectify it. Well, in this case, they were actually given almost a year. Right. And because I think they got their first warning in March of last year. And, um, in fact, they didn't rectify the problems, so they received a letter saying, well, in 24 hours, you will no longer be, be listed on NASDAQ. Well... You can still buy their stock. It's uh, on another trading network. It's uh, over the counter, the over-the-counter board. And uh, so you, you can buy and trade the stock. And actually what ended up happening was their stock had oh, went below $5, I think. And it's now over 6 uh since they've been delisted but I think that's mostly because of bargain hunters that are looking to pick something up and and thinking they're going to make a quick score. Yep. And I think you'll see within you know a few days that that might not be the case. You'll see it um, you know drifting back to where it was before. Now the interesting thing is at one point in time their stock was uh, as high as sixty seven dollars. Right. So it was really soaring at one time. And this is Avid we're talking about now. We're not talking about Digit Design. Digit is part of. Of Avid and is actually no longer a brand. Uh, you won't see Digital Design anywhere within Avid any longer. So uh, now it's just the audio version of of the Avid brand. Let me uh, let me just break
2: in there really quick. One of the things about a stock being delisted from NASDAQ is um, it really affects the investor's confidence in that stock because you have to maintain a certain level. Well, you've
4: fallen out of the club because there's a certain minimum requirements and you've fallen below that and then not rectified it after you've been given the warning. So if you haven't taken those steps, that usually means that the company, uh, there's some sort of a, a problem and it could be management or it could be even worse. And, of course, that makes all investors kind of leery if you can't, you know, even meet those minimum requirements. And
1: because, you, and because, you wait, lose... because it's a public company. Right. And it's I mean, a not a
4: private company. Right. So if yep. you're an
1: investor, yeah. you are entitled as to, a shareholder to, information. to know their financials yeah. on a quarterly basis. Well and, and the, if they don't provide that, then as a shareholder, you don't know what's going on. Right. So
2: and and one thing too is when you're delisted from NASDAQ, you know, you lose a lot of your institutional investors. You you lose a lot of the Big boys that invest because
4: they're no longer allowed to right. trade. Right. If you're not on one of the the big boards, if yeah. you've fallen off that, then, right. then the, the, their boards, their,
1: their investment profile,
4: their their boards actually will stop them from investing in something that's not on NASDAQ. Right, Ashes right. I think with, I think it's you know, important absorption. to mention. Um,
3: you know you had mentioned sort of the over the counter thing and, and the, the, this pink slip, pink slip uh, format yeah. that that avid is trading in. it is considered you know much more you know low brow it 's considered much more speculative and much more of a risky game to yeah. play than yeah. doing something on the New York stock which just runs yeah, into a high risk factor yeah right, which makes it much more difficult for avid to be able to therefore get more credit and borrow more money later on it 's a black mark on you know it 's a black eye you know to the reputation of the company which is a home. real Bad
4: problem because there's a company like that that's not really doing well money wise to begin with, and they can't get more when they need it to right. actually tide them over when they have to be tied it over. So that's a big problem. And also, now, if they, you go,
1: if you go, if and I was going to say, also, also, also trying to acquire talent, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, you get that someone's going to go. I hear the company's not doing well. Right. All of a sudden, they becomes potentially a stink. Okay,
2: Now let's talk about what exactly happened on this delisting, right? Um, The reason why Avid was was delisted – and if you go online, you can go to Yahoo Finance. You can go – there's a lot of different places where you can find the news. But essentially, they failed to file their earning statements um, all the way back to the last quarter of 2012. And I think that's where it started the whole cycle. And also um, 2013, they failed to, to do their, um, their earnings statements. I believe that's why they got delisted. Which
4: is mandated that you have to do that every quarter. Right.
2: Now, <laughs> why did they fail to file those listings? If you go online, you can find that answer too, <laughs> which is which is pretty amazing. Essentially – Well,
4: it's their answer. Well, there's a yeah. lot of speculation well, as to why – Well, why we don't
2: wait. you – Bobby, why don't you explain what the what is? Well, you, you're answers. reading
4: it. You, you can read it better, I think, from there.
2: So why did Avid get delisted? Um, they missed filing their earnest earnings report. And why is that? Well, because – there's some accounting anomalies. Something weird's happening. I'm not an accountant. I'm not going to profess to be an accountant, but if you go online, you can find that um, according to them, they are going to review their accounting practices in the current and historical treatment of the accounting related to bug fixes, upgrades and enhancements to certain products which the company has provided to certain customers.
3: Yeah, what the heck is that supposed to mean? (laughs) And and what they've said, moreover, was not only are they going to have to obviously fix the – I guess it's five quarters now that they have not stated their earnings. They're going to have to go back and restate all of their earnings statements for the last five years. And what they said is that means they're going to have to go back – Eight and a half years and take a look and redo all of their accounting starting from eight and a half years ago in order to be able to make things current. That was what I was able to hear from Avid's investment – from their investment webpage and the CFO of Avid itself
4: talking about it. No, it's even worse from the standpoint that they actually have to pay for that to NASDAQ. If they want to get relisted, they can. But it costs them money to do that. Right. So – They'll they'll have to pay when they make those earnings statements, and they'll have to pay to get relisted, and they'll have to pay Deloitte two sh-
3: millions of dollars for the
4: accounting. For so for a company well. that's bleeding money, right, this is not a good thing.
2: And if you if you look at the income statement for for the ones that they did file, which you know you can't really rely on them because they're going to have to re, you know, they're going to have to refile them anyhow. I will tell you what. You see a lot of losses in their in their quarters. You see you know I'm looking at the ones if you go online to Yahoo Finance and just look for the latest the last income statement that they did file, you're going to see losses of, you know, 16 million, 37 million, 12 million, 1.7 million. I mean, these are substantial losses through quarters.
0: Which was the article that said but they're rolling in cash?
4: Oh, well, well, what that was, it was uh, Create Digital Music where Peter Kern, I think, called somebody up from uh, Avid and asked for a statement. So they got an official spokesperson that, that basically told them, hey, we have plenty of cash. And uh, I think it was $48 million they have. Yeah, and some, no debt. And no debt. Now, they can get away with saying that now or they couldn't if they're on the NASDAQ where there's very stringent rules of what you can and can't do and can and can't say. But now that they're traded over the counter, they can say pretty much anything they want and not have those ramifications. You know, I, I found that particularly
0: infuriating, and I'll tell you why, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier. So everybody got completely angry at how expensive the upgrades were. And so let's say this thing is true, that they have $48 million in cash just sitting around and no debt. So, okay, so you're going down the tubes because all your customers are screaming that you're overcharging them, and your response is to say how much cash you have in the bank. Well, guess what? Your user gonna, users are going to realize the reason you have that cash in the bank is from overcharging them. You know, That's the connection I made
2: instantly. Uh, absolutely. They, that's insane. They are on a money grab, and they have to do that because, look, right now – It's so short-sighted, though. Well, I mean, and right now, they, they may not have that. Because we don't have any financials to check it against, you right. know, there's a lot of weirdness going on there. And and here's the thing about about Avid. If you're listening to this and you want to find out a little bit more, look from this perspective. Go on Yahoo Finance. Go into Yahoo um, Yahoo Finance. Go into and put Avid into this stock, and it'll it'll pull up all this information. Click on news. Just look at. All the press releases and all the, hype. the
4: lawsuits too. There's oh, a lot of. Oh, yeah. a
2: ton of lawsuits. Along those lawsuits, you see all this hype that's coming out, you know, and and they're just like they are on you know overload. They're they're hyping everything. Oh, Avid's leading over in Pro Tools over in the Grammys and doing all this and doing all that. And it's so it's true. None of this, you know. I'm not saying they're making any of it out. They are just doing everything they can to make themselves look like. Like they're, they're really on the cutting edge. They're leading They're this stuff is just a little bleep. I mean, it's, it's like this, as soon as you hear that, if you're on a cruise ship and you hear the orchestra start to, pro, to play, you yeah, know, but, look for an iceberg. That's but, all I'm saying. But
4: again, it was what I said back in the beginning when we started the discussion, the reason why they're doing that is they're not talking to us, the end users, right. they're talking to the shareholders or yeah. potential shareholders. And therein lies the big problem because you're now looking at a different audience that you're selling to. You're not selling to us. You're selling to people that are investing or potentially investing or have invested. That – is the biggest problem right here? Well, but you know what? It's a perfect
0: fit because the company's being run by people who don't do what we do and don't understand what we do. Exactly. So why should they be talking to people who understand what we do? Yeah. You've got people who don't know what we do talking to people who've invested who actually don't know really what we do either. So you got the business people talking to the business people, and it, and this at its heart is a creative tools company, and, and thrived for a long time as that, and they've just they've really lost that.
2: And focus. let's let's talk about avid, and let's talk about some of the leadership. And some of the dumb decisions that they 've made, just even related to Pro Tools, for instance, you know we kind of tap- tapped on this a little bit when we were talking about the history. the way they handled the whole HDX thing, the fact that it was f- five years too late, and then totally get blindsided you know right after it comes out with with Apple just dropping you know a whole different Mac pro on the world mm-hmm. and them not being able to come up with an elegant thunderbolt solution for their interfaces, you know that to me is just a lack of, of leadership and a lack of of foresight. To say everybody knew that you know Mac was going to change, everybody could see the writing on the walls that that the cards were going to be irrelevant, and here they come out with a card that's radically expensive. That card's ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars now sure it's powerful and don't get me wrong i actually work on an hdx system um i work on it you know 10 hours a day that's the system i run you know the hdx plugins great zero latency i mean it's great but it's just five years too late you know the previous hd3 that had like a 10 year shelf life right i Mm -hmm. mean those cards were for 10 years so now they come out and you look at universal audio right Universal Audio, they're Apollo and I've said this. It's just a brilliant, brilliant interface. It sounds good. The Thunderbolt is fast. It's really great. How can they – come up with a great, elegant solution and Pro Tools not come up with a solution. It's just – to me, that just shows some of the incompetence that's going on down there. And not only that, but well, now
4: – they're business people, not engineers. Right. Wait, wait, wait. But but what, hold, what hold, I, hold on.
2: Okay. Let me, I'll, I'll let you – have it. but not only that. So the reason why that's so important about seeing Apollo and the threat from Apollo is because now it forces Pro Tools and Avid to do what they did, which is what? You cannot buy Pro Tools 11 without getting hardware. You can't do it. You cannot buy the software by itself. You have to buy the hardware. There is no Pro Tools 11 producer pack and there is no Pro Tools 11 HD version on its own. And that really, really is lame because – and that's totally desperation because they see the second you get Pro Tools 11, you are not buying a – a uh, an avid interface and eleven you're has going, a lot of bugs right now. Yeah, you're going for for an Apollo and and to me little inconsistencies like that just really kind of tick me off. Here's one more, and then Scott, I'm gonna let you say what you're gonna say. If you had a producers pack and from Pro Tools 10, right? Um, when they were talking about all the upgrades and everything, they forgot about the whole producers pack, and they, it was gonna be a thousand dollars. We can't talk
0: this much shit about Pro Tools and have it not crash. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> right. <brilliant>. That's brilliant. <laughs> still recording. Okay. okay. Wow. Oh, that was just it. me <laughs> It's <laughs> angry. That's right. We okay. have angered the Pro Tools.
2: Oh, no. So if you bought a producer's, if you brought a producer's, producer's toolkit, um. They wanted $1,000 for the upgrade to HD11 software. As a matter of fact, they were one of the few people that could get the software without the hardware. Um, they complained, it's too expensive. We already spent $1,000 just getting that producer's pack in the first place. So they brought the price down. I'm not really quite sure. I went on their website to find out why you couldn't get their software without their hardware. And they said because they wanted to maintain the integrity of the experience of the software. And then I'm thinking, OK. What about the integrity of the experience for the guys who upgraded with the producer's um, toolkit? I mean, they're using it without their hardware. Are they gonna, you know, have a you know, they just don't care about these people? Little stuff like that just burns me. And you just see it's like just this money grab, and sure, they have forty-eight million dollars, but
1: it's because everybody's having to upgrade and spend an arm and a leg really quick. Scott, what were you gonna say? Well, I was gonna say that, you know, one of the big things has come out. In I think uh, lower music and post and all that are these uh, little avid artist series consoles, and they're, they're a great little inexpensive solution to do a lot of great things. Okay, and they said, hey, we got a little touch screen, so it's like a little X keys thing going on, and that's great. So we said, and you could pan it on touch screen. Here's the problem: it's a circle and a square. So if your left and right is the square, it only does a circle, which means you can't ever pan in 5 1 hard left or hard right. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> okay, so if you look at an artist series and right. you do a pan, you right. take a square, right? Yeah. And you put a circle. The circle is in the square. So what happens is, if you go hard left, you can't get to the left speaker. It's like a circle. It, you can't get into the corner because it's a circle. <laughs> so where all my, all sitting sitting going, I, I don't know how to go all the way left. You can't. So you kind of go in a circle within five one, but you can't ever get to the actual speaker. And, and you know, when I approached them, uh, they said they had built it for Logic because that's the way the Logic panel works. And I'm like, this has been out for a while. And, and this is, again, it's just the lack of detail and the lack of attention. And it's just a coding change because uh, they're so busy trying to get UConn to work. Right. Well, go ahead.
3: I want to jump in about three things. You know, We're sort of throwing things around pretty quickly here, yeah. and there are three points that I think are really important just to sort of make sure that we set the record straight. Number one, there is a Thunderbolt solution for Pro Tools, yeah. which is the HD-native Thunderbolt box. Right. So you can buy that, and you can use that to be able to plug in you know, to an Omni or a current-generation piece of Avid hardware. Right. That's number one. Number two, we don't know... Whether or not Avid has forty-eight million dollars in no debt, I mean that is something that somebody said. That's true. We're, we I are would speculating. Guess, I would here. guess they have no dollars and forty-eight million dollars in debt. <laughs> but but <laughs> the like the that point, might be closer. And, that, and you may absolutely be right, Rob. But I think it's really important for us to point out that none of us have any inside baseball knowledge of Avid here, and so this is speculation on our That's part. Right. Number three, the last thing that I think is important, and this is a clarification I need, is you can buy Pro Tools Eleven and use it with other people's hardware. You just right. can't Cannot use Pro Tools 11 HD HD. with other people's hardware, and we hadn't—you know—we were sort of throwing around this term a little loosely. It's
2: all—it's all HD, And, and let me tell you why that's important, though, because that's another thing that infuriates me about this whole Pro Tools thing and Avid is the fact that they cripple their software. You cannot do input monitoring. Without going to the HD version, that is so maddening. That is beyond that. That. Is, maddening. that is almost unforgivable. They limit your track counts and just input monitoring. I, you know what? Let them hold back. Um, you know, surround scope and all that other stuff. But the fact that you cannot do input monitoring is unforgivable. It really is. That's the thing that infuriates me the most because that's, that's just a building block and hey, I've got a, I've got a great DAW. If I was going to start with a DAW, what are the things that you need? Okay, I need EQ. How about input monitoring and waveforms? I mean, it's you know, that I, I, simple. I,
1: I, and I'm going I'm to make a little bit of a guess here. Uh, in, in some ways, in their defense and sort of not. And that is, I think they've painted themselves into a corner. And that is, they fit saturation, everybody wants one, has one. And they're selling little bits here and there. But the big, big purchases, everybody has a 192. I don't need another one. Right. I think Digi was in a conundrum. Uh, all the big Euphonics consoles were already sold. So either one with Harrison Neve or Every All their biggest, biggest clients, if they needed one, they had one. So now they can do software upgrades for 300 bucks or maybe even 1000 bucks. But that wasn't enough. I think they needed to figure – somebody said, we need to find a way – that people's gonna buy our stuff all over again. I think but they came out with the idea of saying, okay, we got a new a new S6 console, we got all new hardware that has to come out. They need more money, but they're I think they're in a conundrum because they gotta spend money to be able to make all these new hardware, new toys. But you know, I wonder what the cash flow issue is, and that's one of the things the NASDAQ would show. Because if they don't have the money to invest in the new technology, which is going to earn them more money and give them a second start, they may not want to show that. And that's the conundrum they might be in. They can't get the S6 consoles out in mass market yet. You know what, though? It's, it's also just
0: about bad decision-making. I mean. Sure. You know, like the Thunderbolt box, I remember seeing it uh, very early on, and the idea that their Thunderbolt box is just a conduit to buy one of their interfaces as opposed yeah. to it being an interface, that is something that the customers were screaming about from the very beginning. It's like, we don't just want a box that lets us hook to another box. That's not the way the world is it's
2: going. It's horrible. I'm right, used right. it.
0: It's horrible. You know, it's just, it was not intelligent thinking, and it doesn't cost any more to be more intelligent. And so they've made a lot of those kind of boneheaded moves, which is a shame, because at the core of it i mean they have incredibly brilliant engineers and they have so much amazing technology but when a decision like that is made like some of the pricing decisions are made you just say you know what you guys have just you're not in touch with reality uh, you know what? i'll come back to your input monitoring thing like the whole idea is pro tools has replaced the tape machine right over the last you know couple generations of, of users it's replaced the tape machine so you learned something from that in the old days, there were all kinds of different tape machines. You could buy really cheap tape machines, really expensive tape machines. But you know what? The differentiator between them was not input monitoring. Any, <laughs> That's <right>. Any <laughs> tape machine that was usable <laughs> had input monitoring. So why would you use that as the thing you cripple yeah. when you're dealing with different tiers of the thing that replaced the tape machine? It just yeah. shows that no one was really thinking. Yeah. It's just, well, that might be an easy line of code to comment out.
4: Let's make that what they don't get.
0: It's just ridiculous.
4: If me. you look at the, um, the glassceiling.com, which is uh, a website all about anonymous um, evaluations by people that work at a company. So in other words, uh, the people at Apple would evaluate Apple anonymously, and they'd say what they thought about the management and what they thought about the working conditions and and uh, everything else. Well, if you look at at Avid, you find that there's a 12% approval rating, hmm. and – there were something like 500 different comments or 500 different entries. And the people, for the most part, say the same thing. They have a nice benefits package. That's a good part. Uh, the compensation is, is pretty good. No problem. The management is terrible. And the working conditions are awful. And the general mood is, is very, very bad and getting worse all the time but the the thing that keeps on coming up is is management management, no strategy, no strategy, lack of focus so there that really speaks to the, a lot of the problems that we're talking about oh, yeah. here where, where if you have management that uh, isn't clear thinking doesn't know the market and isn't forward thinking, this is what we see this is what we get
2: yeah I, I, it just shows just the total lack of of Connection with their industry and with their customers, and and on a managerial scale, I think the talent there. And let me just tell you, I think they've had some amazing talents that have. There's been a big
4: brain drain the last two years, right? So. But big that's what I'm
2: saying. There has been some great talent that has come through the ranks still, and mm-hmm. they came out with some really good products. And look, the last product that they came out with that unfortunately they're kind of you know going to orphan. Um, unless they do something big with it, is uh, is the whole venue system? They came in and they overnight. Well, no, I'm just saying right. uh, after Nam, the f- lack of 96k and stuff like that, it just doesn't look good for them. But they came and they took over, you know, live sound, and that's not an easy thing to do. There was a lot of big tours that were going out, with and, that uh, but, and, and you know what?
0: But they were the ones who brought 96k to the masses. Yeah. So the fact yeah. that they would miss the boat bringing it to live, yeah. it's just like. Kind of unforgivable.
1: Well, but and, I, I also and, think though that that one of the biggest problems I think that Digi has, strange enough, is that it lack hasn't of, been Digi for oh, like fifteen the, years. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> old <laughs> habits The lack of already. avid yeah. um, is competition. I mean, they own the mar- they own many of the markets they're in. When you get competition, a you learn something that the other guy did something interesting, and it keeps bringing the bar up. When you look at people that own – any and any industry that's had this problem. When a company owns a good a majority of the industry, they get, uh, they get lazy. They go, you know what? What are you going to do? If I do something and you don't like it, what are you going to go to? You have no choice but me, so I own the market, and you're just going to have to dance my dance. Yeah. And everyone just deals with it, uh, and that's a problem because I think it hurts. Digi, I was hoping that Nuendo would come up, yeah. be a bigger player because that would have made Digi yeah. healthier. That's true. And competition
2: really does help. Well, look, you know, Digi – I mean, (laughs) you got me. Avid (laughs) has had some problems. I think they're trying to prey on their clients. I think the new S6 is – Incredibly overpriced for what it is. The lights are all cool, but you know they tout the one big thing of not having to look at your Pro Tools screen, but yet they have this giant screen as the center controller. You're just trading one screen for another screen. It's extremely expensive. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ridiculously. Expensive. I mean, it's a cool and, console, and, but it is very. But expensive. you know, but they, here's what they did. They designed it because if you look at the design of the S6, it's modular. They call it modular. You can put together. You can you know whatever you need. It's modular. Those modules are all you know. You have to Ethernet cable behind them. If you, if you go on to the, the Sweetwater site and you look at the the demo that they give, look at the cables just behind the the uh, just behind their console. You see cables dangling, and it's just like it's just so kludgy. And and just you, like you, the you,
3: Ethernet cables in the Artist series, yeah, where if you, where if you yeah. have three of them, you need three Ethernet cables. And and know.
2: I I go like this. Um, Rob works on a on a D control. And I remember seeing Rob's D control for the first time in his studio. And let me tell you, that was a it is a gorgeous looking board. It yeah. really it's it's made, it's solid, it's big, it has a nice slope, it has curved edges. It really is it looks like a really solid piece. You know, the new stuff, you know, Is flat for one thing. You could set it on a table if you wanted to, because if you buy the legs, the legs are like thirteen grand. The leg kit is ridiculously (laughs) expensive, and and it just doesn't. It's it's smaller and it just doesn't have that same panache because we've all seen it. We've all seen it. What it does, it has the little you know waveforms and things like that, but it's it's not. I'm, what it's
1: worth. If it was you know what? I'm actually going to – I need to counterpoint that if you wouldn't mind because I've worked on D-controls, D-commands, and I've been playing with the S6. OK. First of all, add the Euphonics Series 5. Right. Which is really what it's more based on than a, a, an icon. I actually don't like the D-command because the keyboard is in the, in, is in the center of the console and the first fader is three feet to my left or my right. And right. I want faders in front of me, not a keyboard. Where I like the D—that's no, right. There's the D control, the D command. I like because it's a little more compact. Right. That's what I want. Now like. the thing is, in a smaller room like I work in, more than a big dubbing stage sometimes, I need to be in a sweet spot. I want to have a smaller console. I don't need bigger. Bigger doesn't mean anything. I need to be in the sweet spot, and I'd rather a smaller. 24 fader um, um, You know profile.
2: What, I'm not saying that, look, it, it works, it's probably yep. perfect. Ergonomics is probably awesome. I'm just saying or, the fact that it's way more 170,000 dollars well, $1, okay. versus but Let me, let me say 80, $1, one of the things
1: and I won't disagree on, on that for it with you. But one of the things I do like about the series 5, and because I'm left-handed, right I could put the mod- I could put different modules in any combination that I want that fits the way that I mix. I remember getting short-loaded consoles of any type, and you can put them wherever you want. Right. I like the idea that I can have actually two rows, two layers of faders right. if I wanted. So I love that the modularity of the, of the S6 and all the things it can do. I like the idea that like the Harrison console has, has vertical right. um, meters, so you can be able to see – What's coming up? Right. Oh, I want to sting that. I could see it coming forward. There's not – but once again, I'm, I'm not saying – look, functionability,
2: it could be the what most I'm, phenomenal say, thing. It, I, the thing that I – my point is, is it's way overpriced and they're preying on the faithful. They're preying on the guys. They should make it easy what, it, for Rob to upgrade. I think the they're problem, not making it easy.
1: I think the problem they have though is – see, it depends on how you look at it. Okay, if you look and you've, you've had a Lamborghini, all of a sudden – uh, 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 a Tesla looks really cheap, but if you had a Toyota, a Tesla looks really expensive. So if you had an S six console that was eight hundred thousand dollars and a big dubbing film console, which S uh, Euphonics is everywhere, and a lot in the industries, it's a very very expensive console. So, so, so you system
4: five, at, you're talking about
1: system five, yeah. A system five. Right. Sorry. So if you have a system five, it's way 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 cheaper. An S6 is way cheaper than a System 5. But a System Boy. 5
2: also looks like it should be more expensive. It's, but it's a better-looking look.
1: board. It's about functionality.
2: I, so, I, I, mean, that's I re- don't
0: know. In, in my studio and others that i dealt with, the look is important. The look is good for business.
1: I'm, I'm not but just saying if, justify look, the price. I mean, you look at, look at Mike Minkler, who's a, a really a great dialogue mixer. Right. He only has an 8-fader uh, uh, System I, 5. I, wait, I, wait. But the problem I think that Digi has... It's trying to be everything to everybody. So it's trying to be the new Series 5. It's trying to be the new D command and the new D control. But the problem is the pricing doesn't work No, and because you're either going up or you're going down. Right.
2: Look, everything you say about the functionality, the workability, 100%. The problem is, is they're charging way too much money. Why? Because they're so screwed up financially. That's the thing. You know, we talked about the $48 million in cash that they have on hand. Do you know what their operating expenses were for the quarter ending June thirtieth, twenty twelve, just their operating says total operating expenses. I'm getting this off of Yahoo Finance quarterly data. One hundred and one million dollars operating expenses.
1: So for a three month period. For a quarter, exactly. So. But you the, know what is their what is their sales generation though? I mean, in fairness. Yeah, well, right. to be
2: perfectly honest, they're running on that quarter. They're running a deficit of thirty seven million dollars, which is. Almost $48 million. Yeah, I mean, dollars. I, I, I mean, I'm just saying they that cash isn't going to go very far. Yeah, it's but you gotta, you
1: got to look at the 52-week trending. and No, well, I can look at, at the fact quarter. that they
2: lost $37 million in that quarter. The one before, they lost $12 million. The one after that, they lost $16 million. So I'm just saying my whole point is $48 million, even if that was true – that's just not a lot of cash. Okay.
4: In that Does anyone want to speculate on the future?
2: Yeah, that's where we'll go. Thank you, Bobby, for bringing it around. I was about to punch Scott. No, I'm just kidding.
4: <laughs> I can speculate
0: <laughs> on the future. I speculate that in the next podcast we're going to be having this exact same conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right. We're gonna, we'll, we'll wrap this up. This, is, this has been a blast. Though. I've totally loved talking about this. and, and um, but, um, but we do um, have to talk about the future. Oh, yeah. There's do. a whole yeah. lot of speculation Let's let's open it up, Bobby. You brought it up. Talk about the future. What is what is if let's just say, okay, we know Avid could save it and for some reason they get some institutional investor who comes in and it's gonna stay Avid and Pro Tools, blah, 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 blah. But what happens if that doesn't happen?
4: Well, there's um, several things here, uh, several layers to to this. The first thing is if you're looking at buying a, um, an S6, if it were me, I would think really hard about spending any more money on hardware right now. I, I would sit tight for, for quite a while to see what would happen. So that's going to hurt sales. Uh, obviously, it's going to hurt, um, on a corporate level, it's going to hurt, hurt investment. It's going to hurt credit, all that stuff. So there's a problem here we have with cash flow and, and with being able being able to just burn through cash. But... Really, I don't see anything in the marketplace changing for a year, 18 months, maybe a little bit longer, unless there's a drastic falling, uh, you know, a, something really a drastically happening. Yeah, a catastrophe yeah. happening.
2: No, it's, you're probably right.
4: But I don't see anything happening. That being said, Scott, Rob, Nick. All of us, now we're starting to look around. Everybody's looking, okay, well, what can be an alternative? And if there's somebody that's smart in the space, they're now thinking, okay, how can we take this over? How can we take this space over? What can we do if they're smart? Because they've got a window of a couple of years. years, the way I look
2: at it. No, that's uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean the fact of the matter is, is on – Monday, I'm going to go in and work on my Pro Tools system mm-hmm. and continue working on it for you know the foreseeable future. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens because what you know, I started a a uh, a post on um, on our Facebook, you know, where I said, okay, who who do you think should buy a Pro Tools brand and continue on um, the Pro Tools name and the Pro Tools brand. And uh there was a lot of it was really some really good conversations that were going on. And um, our listeners are they're awesome, they're smart, they're they're funny. One of the guys said Rob <laughs> What? That was <laughs> his that was his uh Who his would answer. buy
4: it? You who would should, You, would, should, would, you yeah. should buy it. <laughs> That's your deep pockets over there. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: really. You could shop till you drop. Yeah, it's one of those. He must know of a bank account I have that
2: I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I said you should buy the Pro Tools brand from Avid. Um, yeah, but, but Avid, will, just, Avid won't sell it. They won't sell it. Uh, yeah, that's funny. But, you know, but it's not now, easy. who will
4: acquire Avid? Now, but, that's, see, that's, that's who would,
2: but, like, who would acquire that? Because if you're going to acquire Avid – you don't want to, you want that the name and the technology, but you probably don't want to be saddled with any debt. You know, if they what
3: you if know, you're where, Apple and you've got hundreds of billions of dollars in the bank?
1: Nah, that's too small. You know who would do it? Yeah. Adobe.
4: Adobe, yeah. Ooh. Adobe. Biggest Apple's too
1: big. It makes too much money for consumers. Adobe's in the strange. They make Photoshop. They make that After artist-
3: Effects. They ooh.
1: all of a sudden they got Premiere. They get to own the market.
4: Yeah, that's right.
1: And Final Cut is still. A a um, a a, a uh, uh, what's what's the right word? It's not a big company for Apple.
4: It's a, it's not a not a big market. Yeah, or, I mean Apple yeah, doesn't care small, about Final yeah. Cut,
1: but because um, they get bigger fish to fry, um, and and it's more of a hobby for them the way it looks. Meanwhile, Adobe is is still interested in that marketplace, and if they did something like that, they would be able to. Dominate now. They're audio now. They're in video. Yeah, they got a very interesting space. You know,
4: you know what else is interesting about that? They've transitioned to a subscription model. Yeah. Now, just think about this: Would you pay ninety nine dollars a year for all the updates you could eat? Yes, Mm
2: -hmm. absolutely.
4: You bet. Yeah,
2: absolutely, because that would take the twenty five hundred bucks that I'd have to go to eleven right now. It would take me 25 years down the road. But, but you'd feel yeah.
4: a whole lot better about it, would you? Absolutely.
2: O- absolutely. But like in,
1: like in any business, though, it really comes down to what their debt is. Because yeah. I mean, if they have debt, they'll let them fail and pick up the pieces. If they don't have debt, then they'll just wait for them to, to you know, uh, hang on the vine long enough.
3: For the stock to drop to two dollars, Yeah, I mean, it, or becomes, penny it just, it just goes down and, and they said, look,
1: yeah. everybody wants to buy pennies on the dollar. They don't want to buy debt and they don't want to buy a name that is in flux. So how do you get a fire sale? You wait it out. And I think really what's gonna be the key is if the S six doesn't take off and right. it doesn't sell, yeah. then because they they're writing, I mean that could be a lot of money because they are expensive. Yeah. Look, I never thought icons would sell as much as they did. But really comes out of the S6 does well. Uh, the Pro Tools 11 is already out and the 192s are everyone's ten and the There's Go ahead, Ron.
0: I was just going to say there are many stories from back in the 90s when, the new, when New England Digital was going under. There were people who wrote multi-hundred-thousand-dollar checks within the week that NED went under and ended up having to take delivery of their systems after New England Digital was already dead. And those people, there were some amazing articles written about it. And my favorite quote, and I'll tone it down for the podcast, but my favorite quote about those people was that they were effed and far from home. (laughs) That's how they were described. And it was true. They'd written sometimes checks for four hundred grand before a company went under to take delivery of a product after that was going to have no support. Wow. That was truly screwed. Yeah. No one wants to be in that position. And I agree. People who are in the position to think about an S6, I mean, myself included, I mean – I can't imagine in this industry for me personally. It makes financial sense the way things work these days, but I still have an open mind about it. But absolutely, it's got to affect your thinking. I mean, if you buy, I mean, I bought my D control quite a while ago. Support has been great. It's been running great. You know, knock wood, everything's been cool. But uh, the idea of a purchase like that, because I have needed a lot of support. Those things are complicated, and when right. something goes wrong. You need help, and, and I can't imagine considering a purchase of that magnitude
1: the with, with the, the chance is, of,
0: sof- of support not being there.
1: The problem with S6 is it's not done. I mean, by the, I mean, there are a lot of features that you have on icons and euphonics that exist today that don't work yet mm-hmm. on the S6. And they said, mm-hmm. oh, it's coming. So everyone's going to oh, go great, and you can't really get it yet. It's yeah, done. you
0: don't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on it's coming. You know, exactly. It's just way too big of a risk.
2: Let me, you know, before we wrap this up, and we're going to start winding down as we think about the future and what's going to happen. Let me ask you guys this: I'm surprised, you know, Avids and Pro Tools. There's, there's been this thing about Pro Tools going down, down, down for years. It's not like anything's happened, you know, you know, overnight, right? I'm just surprised no one's kind of filled a, a void, like, behind it. Like, there's, there's, like... No other company? Yeah, there's no other software that kind of does it as good as, as Pro Tools does it i mean there's companies out there you know you've got your appletons and you've got your your you know you've got your uh cubases and your sonars and you've got your well uh, nuendo is definitely the closest but yeah. but it's like sadie
3: and pyramids uh, yeah, like, like okay, in europe a lot right
2: but there's no but once again it's almost like they're all down here where's that one that's like just almost there like giving them giving them the competition i'm just surprised nobody's risen to that
3: level well and it's what you just said you know you said there's this wonderful moment of opportunity, this window of opportunity where some company could come along and do that. What if it's Reaper? What if it's this phenomenal $69 piece of software being created by this limber, or this, uh, this, this nimble, you know, really fast moving, small company that are really smart. What if they go and focus on post-production? Why don't
2: you, why don't you, you told us a really great story about, about your about Reaper? Yeah. Sure.
3: I'll, I'll try to tell it quickly. Cause we're going really long. Um, Several years ago, I was working on a lot of note-tracking projects for guitar hero and rock band type of games that other companies were doing, and we needed to use Reaper to do the, the note-tracking. They had a plug-in that allowed you to actually enter MIDI data into it, and then you would see the data come down just as if it was the jewels coming down in a rock band or a guitar hero type of type of game, and so it was terrific for that kind of thing. Now the problem was that there were timing discrepancies at the beginning of a song in which we would need to go in and then use some very small time element Uh, to be able to offset it so that we could have the bars line up neatly with, uh, you know, the actual bars of the music as they were coming down. And so we would be doing things like go in and say, well, let's just add, you know, the whole song is four, four at one Let's go in and add a single bar of, you know, one eight at 400 beats a minute or whatever it would be to be able to create that offset at the beginning so that it would work. So we were going through and creating all of these things, and we noticed that uh, Reaper was crashing a whole bunch. And we didn't understand what it was. We were able to pinpoint it to the songs in which we had these very small little time increments at the beginning of the songs. So I emailed Kakos, which is the small company in San Francisco that makes Reaper. I emailed them um, in the afternoon on a Wednesday, and I said, help we're using your software. We're creating the stuff. We need to get these Guitar Hero things out the door. We've discovered a replicable bug within your Rock Band plugin in which if you use a you know, small time increment at the very beginning of it, it's causing it to crash. Could you please check it out? I came to work the next morning with an email from Kakos saying, you were right. We fixed the bug. Here is the plug We dropped it in, and that was it. And we were up and running at 10 o'clock the next day.
2: That's amazing.
3: Now, imagine going to a large company, not just Avid, but, you know, yeah, any Apple, one. anyone, and say, hey, we discovered this replicable bug in Pro Tools or in Logic or in any of these things. You couldn't remotely have that level of customer service, or remotely have that ability to be able to have the software react to, to your needs along those lines. I mean, 15 years ago at Avid –
0: or at Back when it was Digi, you could, but that has been long lost. I mean, it's hard with a product so complicated with so many different kinds of users, but just the perception that that's gone is a terrible
2: thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, and that's you know? also a thing, you know, having been, you know, I used to be part of a public company. Right. And now we're private. Yeah. There's a big difference.
2: Yeah. Always. I mean, when you're
1: a public company, you've got to make sure that your numbers are going up, otherwise your stock goes down, yeah. and you've got quarterly earnings, you've got bi-monthly flashes, and the priority then – is as much of the company selling audio product or whatever the product is. So stockholders. Stockholders. Yeah. And there's a whole department that is nothing but supporting In- yeah. the investor perception relations of investor relations. And Absolutely. That's
2: where, that's where you get all those PR releases. I will so just I say think. quickly.
0: I realize we're wrapping up, but I have to thank Nick because he just gave me the idea. Next time I'm working with an orchestra and they're a little ahead of the beat, they're getting a bar of one eight at four hundred. <laughs> That is the solution I've been looking for my whole life. So thank you for that. Um, You're very well, welcome.
2: You know, as we wrap this up, and and I was trying to think of of some of the the you know the fallout and the consequences for everything that's happening. Um, I think one big thing that that's happened that I don't know if they're going to be able to recover from this, but believe it or not, you know, avid's lost a whole generation there's a younger generation of musicians of producers guys making edm stuff guys making loops and they're not doing it on pro tools they're not they're they're working on the appletons they're working on the fruity loops they're doing it you know if you go on to like some of the comments from even create digital music when he yeah, posted yeah. all that and you That's read these it. guys then they're going back and forth and they talk about pro tools as pro
4: tools is for old guys, yeah, for the old one guys. I remember. Yeah.
2: dude first of all I, Totally insulted me. <laughs> no. But but really you just see, oh my goodness, there's a whole generation coming up that they lost. I don't think they're gonna get back. And it's gonna be interesting to see how they can try to reach those people because that's their survival. More and
0: more my D control and Pro Tools have become the console that I'm using to mix other workstations output.
1: Yeah. And, and, no, and, and, but it's you just know that's one thing that I think Digi though is and what it's not. It's not a content creator. It's an editable tape machine and a mixing console. That's all it really is. It's not a sequencer. It's not a a writing tool. You know, a composer's writing tool. It doesn't do that. What they did was, it's now the Studer. It's now the Atari. You know, what? it's now the SSL. It's now the Neve console. Yeah. That's all it is. It's it's what and they it's, replaced. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, at, when you look at uh, Ableton. And all of the other ones that are sound creation, you know, Logic, right. Performer, all the, uh, all these great little tools, it's not that. It no. never was.
2: Well, they tried to be and they could have been when they acquired Wazoo from Steinberg, you know. And uh, that was such a great, great acquisition because those guys did some amazing stuff when they were working for Steinberg. You know, mm. X-Phrase. X-Phrase was an amazing little little. Uh, Synth plug-in that was doing stuff that, you know, now is becoming hip with the phrase sequencing and things like that. Um, they tried, and that's why they put the MIDI in there. That's why they're trying all this other stuff. It's just, they haven't done it very well, and other stuff has come.
0: You know what? We need to wrap this up, or one of us is going to celebrate a birthday. <laughs>
2: this is going on <laughs> forever. So, on that note, um, <laughs> this, is a, this is a great conversation, guys. This is really good, and um, you know, like, Bobby said, "You know, Pro Tools is still going to be around, but it's interesting to know. and yeah, We love it
1: because it's what we use. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Use. I mean, I I, couldn't I use weep for it, mm-hmm.
2: but exactly. It's it's I, I really, um, you know, I hope for the best for the for the product. You know, I hope it just it survives, and it's going to be really interesting to see where the uh, where the future of it is, and and hopefully they'll somebody will write the ship." Um, maybe well hey guys thanks a lot I want to thank all our listeners that were active in the comments on the Facebook page and f- people who were sending emails and this has been a really great thing and we know we've gone long but it's really important it's kind of like a uh, you know, This is a pillar of our industry, and so it will be interesting to see what happens. So and I want to thank everybody for showing up on a Friday night.
4: <laughs> we have nothing else to do. I yeah, nothing else. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nothing that we couldn't push back for three hours, so we can now do it till 3 a.m. <laughs> all
2: all right. right. Well, from myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening, and uh, let's see what happens. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. <laughs>
0: For listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Apex's 230 Master Channel voice processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.